All right, I've, I've heard the story about a young couple that got married and they were so in love and then the husband started his job as an accountant and he fell in love with someone else. Actually, not someone else, something else. He fell in love with money. And their marriage continued on through the decades and his love for money, it just grew and grew and grew and he wouldn't share it, he wouldn't spend it, he only wanted to save it and he accumulated a vast amount of money but he wouldn't use it for anything other than just looking at his bank statement and just, just glorifying himself and just being happy about it. And, and he was so committed to his work, so committed to his job that he would work late hours, he would skip meals, it began affecting his health, his health started to decline, he still wouldn't stop, still pursuing dollar bills, dollar bills, dollar bills to the point where he was towards the end of his life. He was dying an early death because he just couldn't balance it outright. His relationship with his wife had become terrible and separate, though they were still married. And as he was on his deathbed, he squeezed her hand and he told her firmly, I want you to take all of my money and I want you to put it in the casket with me. Nobody else can have it. Don't spend a penny. Put it all in there. And the years had already been so bad, why not? She just said, okay, I'll do it. And he passed. And the funeral came, and before they closed the casket, she walked over with a large metal locked box, and she put it in and closed it. Her relatives gasped, couldn't believe what she was doing. They buried him, put the dirt on top, and afterwards, as the family gathered, her sister approached and said, why would you do that? She said, well, it was his dying wish. And if he can find a way to cash that check, he deserves it. <laughs> right? We don't like when people are stingy. We don't like when people are just me, me, me. We like generosity. I mean, we at least like other people to be generous. We don't always like to be generous ourselves, but we like generosity. We like to see it in the lives of other people. We like when someone is generous with us. And today we're talking about generosity, and before I dive anywhere into this, I, I was kind of doing some math in my head because I recognize this is such a delicate topic amongst the American church. We just, I think three weeks ago, passed the 100th Sunday at Gulfside Church. That's cool, yeah. Of those 100 Sundays, we have not had one message that was just on finances. You can go through our podcast. It's not there. Because I would much rather talk about knowing God, finding community, discovering your purpose, making a difference, changing the world. That's where my heart is. My heart isn't set on finances. Finances have come up time to time because you cannot read through Scripture without it addressing finances because finances are so closely tied to our identity that we build for ourselves. They're, they're tied to what we love. Like finances, they're part of who we are, and so Scripture addresses it. But I haven't just dove into finances yet and if you've been here since launch, you know that. But if you're sitting here and you're your first Sunday or your first few weeks and you're like, oh, another church just talks about finances. That's not who we are. And so I want you to give me a pass. This week and next week, we're going to talk some about finances. And it's not just demanding the tithe, 10%. That's not what's going to happen. We're going to look at some teachings about finances that, that are pertinent to how we live. And part of that is giving because that's part of, generosity is part of our design. But if you're new here, I want you to understand, 100 Sundays, this is the first one on finances. 
We're not going to do this all the time. But there's so many people in our church who are new to the faith, new to being in church. They haven't heard these teachings, and they are so helpful. They are so beneficial. They are part of our faith, and I would be remiss in my responsibilities in my work if I skipped over this forever. So do you guys see the necessity for us to dive into this? You with me? I'm okay to teach on finances a little bit. All right, thank you, thank you. All right, the, the first thing, the place I want to start with is generosity is what we want for people, not from them. Generosity is what we want for people, not from them. There is a truth that when you get to be generous with other people, you love it. Like, you may not say it, but it's true. When you get to help someone, you walk away from that being glad that you did. You're thankful that you had the resources to be able to help someone else in their time of need, and you walk away from it feeling filled up, and I want to tell you that that is okay to feel. There might be a sense of, oh, I just shouldn't feel anything. I should just help someone and be completely separate. No, part of your design, the way that God designed you, is to help and serve other people. That we're supposed to love our neighbor. And that is not just in theory and thought. That is actually in what we do for other people. And so generosity is actually really good for you. This has been a source of contention for me because... um, I'm thick-headed, and one of my mentors, he, he, he's got on to me about this before because he'll listen to my message, or when I was serving him, I was actually a pastor at his church where he was the senior pastor, and he'd be like, Paul, you should not be saying, it, it, you know, no pressure about giving. Like, you, you make it too light for people because giving is actually beneficial to them. Don't discourage people from giving. Well, I don't want them to feel like they have pressure on them. It doesn't matter because even if they feel pressure, it's going to actually help them. And you can tell how much I've listened to that from him. But it's just this truth that I try to be very careful about this subject, but there is a truth that generosity is actually beneficial for us. When we step out and and we, we give, we serve, we use our time, just like grace and kindness and encouraging words, we want to be generous with our finances as well as those others. And so today the passage we're going to be looking at that deals with generosity is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, if you want to begin to open your Bible there, 1 Timothy chapter 6. But before we get to the passage, I want to clarify something for us. Because the passage is addressing rich people. But do you want to know who the Bible considers rich people? All of you. If you have extra If you were considered to have an extra cloak and tunic, extra clothes, more than one day's supply of the things that you need, you were considered wealthy. And for reference, when we look at a global scale of wealth, if you own a car, if you own your own vehicle, you are in the top, depending on the study, between the top 6 to 9% of the world's population, you are one of the wealthiest if you own your own car. And some of you guys have cars that it's like, I love to just hear it turn on because the sound it makes is awesome. It's a luxury car. It's a race car. It's amazing. I love it. Some of you guys, your car is held together with duct tape and prayer and faith. All right? Either one of you, you're both still in that top 6 to 9% just by owning a car. And so I, I just I want to make sure we're on the same page because this is, this is like a foundation to, to the argument that we're going to make here. I'm going to ask who, who is rich, and then you're going to say we are. 
Because I know that this is a tough pill to swallow because, man, I don't, I don't have the Tesla that I'd like to have. Like, I don't have the six-bedroom house. Like, I don't have, other people have more. I don't have my own boat. Like, I understand those arguments, but in the reality of the entire population of the earth, you are rich. So who is rich? We are. Who is rich? We are. Okay. First um, Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 17. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to a young pastor, Timothy. He has to encourage Timothy at different points. He's like, I know you're trying to teach and people are looking down on you because you're young. Don't let them look down on you because you're young. Set an example for life and faith and godliness. Like, he's, he's bringing Timothy up. He's saying, Timothy, this is how you lead the church. And then he gets to, the, he's in this section where he's saying, okay, in verse 17, we'll project these words up on the screen. I know that I'm jumping around in my notes a little bit, I think, for the person up there. I'm not meaning to confuse you, but 6, 17, teach those who are rich in this world. So teach, he's telling Timothy, teach them, tell them, explain to them, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now, the first thing is, we as Americans, we kind of went through this. We don't feel rich, but we are. We don't feel rich, but we are. We have so much opportunity that so many other places in the world does not have. We have, we have so many supplies. We, we, we can buy things on credit even when we don't have money. We are blessed to, to the extreme. But we don't feel that way. But the other side of what the American church struggles with is most Americans feel generous, but statistically we, we aren't. Most Americans feel generous, but statistically we aren't. I mean, when it comes to people within the church specifically who tithe, tithers make up about 10% of any congregation. In church plants, it's, it's lower than that, I can tell you that much. Um, on average, Christians give 2.5% of their income to churches or, or other nonprofits. On average, Christians only give, use 2.5% of their income for other people. Of families that make $70,000, $75,000 plus, families that make more than $75,000, only 1% of families that make that much money give away 10% of their income. So this myth that when we are finally making more money, we'll finally start giving, that just hasn't proven true in the American culture. And, and if, when you have a little, if you don't start to be faithful with that, it's not going to get any easier to give when there's more money. Because then you just have more responsibilities. And it's like, you know, the house got bigger. The boat payment got bigger. The car payments got bigger. Every payment got bigger as our income expanded. And it has just left me in this situation where I have no bandwidth to give anywhere else, to help anywhere else, to be generous anywhere else, because everything else has grown as our income has grown. And so I just don't have the capacity for it. And the American church has put themselves into this situation where it's like we don't feel rich when we really are. We have more than we need, but we've lived into a lifestyle that has kind of almost locked us out of being generous. And so the American church, we, we're in this tough 
financial situation. And in the passage, it begins to say, first of all, teach. I want to recognize that this is an instruction that is given. This isn't suggest. This is, you need to help them understand. The, the people who have more than what they need for today, you need to help them understand these things. And why do you teach someone something? Because they don't get it yet. You teach someone something when they're doing it wrong. You teach someone something when they need it so that, will, so that it will help them. And so teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I remember what it was like to be like six years old and, and for a very short time to have like a $100 bill in your hand. You guys remember that feeling? It's like, I have all of the money right now. $100. Like, I don't think I need to finish first grade because I can just retire right now and live my life on that $100 bill. And now as adults, we're like, we could almost fill up both cars with a tank of gas with that $100. Almost. But like, money... From one day to the next, its value and what it can do for us, it changes in a big way. I, I mean, we remember when we could go to the movies with a $10 bill and we could live like kings. Now you can't get into the movies with a $10 bill. The value of our money and what it does for us, it changes dramatically. Not only that, your sense of security with an amount of money, it changes as well. Because I know at one phase in your life, you're like, if I had this much in the bank account, I would feel really secure. But as time goes, and as you accumulate that amount of money, and well, market conditions are changing, and I would have felt great if I had that, you know, a year ago, but now I really need this much. And, and then it becomes, ah, oh, I just need this much. Once I have this much, then I'll feel secure, and I can finally start to be generous to other people in my family, other people in my life, the people at the church, the people at the nonprofit that I feel strongly about. Once I get to this, then I can finally support those things. Once I have this sense of security, the fact is, that is a moving target, and it will never stay still for you. We need to be, learn to be generous right where we are, because there's not going to be an arrival point. As, as those things change, as our finances change, we will continue to have that same sense, which is one of the interesting things that I've always followed when, when you see NBA players or NFL players talk about the accumulation of wealth. I always love to hear this statement. It comes, it's come out of a bunch of their mouths in different ways. They've said, I wish everyone could have the amount of money that we have just so they would find out that it doesn't make you happy. The people who have gotten there, who, who've seen the million dollar mark pass in their bank account, the difficult thing that they've had to process is that sense of security that they thought they, they would feel, it doesn't exist. And so we're instructed in Scripture not to put our trust in money because it's so unreliable, unreliable. It changes in an instant. It's not a firm foundation for us to live our life on top of. And this is the other thing. When, when it comes to ha having money in our life or, or living our life in the way that we know God has called us to live, why do we naturally feel so much more security if we have money? I mean, like, when there's a bill coming up, and we don't know how we are going to pay it, but we know we've been living according to God's design, and we know that he says he's going to be faithful, and we know that he says that he's going to provide. Why do we have more tension as if, like, I'd feel safer if I had the money, but if I didn't have God? What, what has happened in our faith? We're in situations where, where it's difficult that we just... We, we would rather have 
the, the earthly things that we feel like we need than have the relationship where we know I'm walking in the ways that he, he's designed and I know that it's tough right now, but I know he's going to see me through it. Why is it that we have this compulsion to just stay over here? Because some of the best lessons that we can ever learn is when we look at the situation and we say, I don't know how this could work out, but I know I'm living the way I'm supposed to live. And when we walk through a situation that looks impossible that way, and then we see God's provision, it builds up our faith, it builds up our strength, it glorifies God to the people around us in our life. It's an amazing experience to go through. It's a little bit scary, but it's a strange thing when our trust is more firm in finances, in money, in the worldly things than it is on this God who said, if you live in this way, you will see my provision. And, and I just want to begin to bring the concept out, bring the thought out of what are we placing our trust in? And who is really providing for our life? The passage in verse 17, it says, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Who is it who gives us all that we need? It, 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 is it us? Is it our employer? Are we in control of all of these things? Or does God have a hand in what's happening in our life? And so the first, the first simple thought that I want in our head as we go through this section of Scripture is, number one, that, that God gives us all that we need. That what we have has been given to us by God. It has been entrusted to us by God. And on top of that, when God entrusts something to us, He expects it to be used in a way that honors Him. When, when God says, you are going to steward and use this for a time, and then it's going to leave your hands. But the whole time, you need to know this is mine. These are my resources. These are my kids. The, 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 this is my money. These things that are in your hands for a time, you steward them well, and then they will leave your hand. And, and then what Scripture implies to us and teaches to us is the way that we steward them depends on what comes in. It, it will change what comes into our hands next. If we're found faithful in small things, he'll entrust us with greater things. If we take what he's given and we just bury it in the ground and we never use it, we never take risks with it, even that will be taken away. And so we have to steward, we have to use it well. And I think one of the foundational things that we have to understand when it comes to our finances is first, God gives us all we need and so what we have is his. And what we have has been supplied by him. And so the objections that my mind makes to doing things God's way is a completely conversa different conversation. I'm sorry, like, we, we can't do this with, with this because God has given us instructions of how we should use these finances. We know what we're supposed to do, and it's not our choice. In, in this passage, when it says to not be proud and not put their trust in money, you know, I... I, I've, I've recognized from a couple of different trips I've taken out of the country that the pride that has developed inside of me because of money and because of wealth and because uh, of the fact that I've been raised in a rich culture, like I didn't recognize that pride until I went to other places where life is very, very different. Because when I saw children who were picking food out of a garbage dump to survive in, in Peru, when I was in Mali, West Africa, and I saw villages that did not have a proper well and clean water or electricity, and I saw their lives, and I saw the way that they lived, and they invited us into the places where they lived, and I was just like, I don't think I want to sit on that. And the pride just kind of like, I'm just, I'm better than this. Like, I could show these people how to do life, but like, 
Like it creeps in. And our pride of what we have, I mean, it's, it's, it's night and day when we go to a culture that doesn't have the wealth that we have, but our pride about, you know, money's tight, and I, and I know, and God has put on my heart that I should be generous in some area, whether it's at church or at a nonprofit or a neighbor who needs help. I know that I should be doing that, but I need new shoes, and I don't like the $60 shoes. I like the $180 shoes, and I deserve these $180 shoes. And so I'm going to make a choice because my pride says, this is how I live. And it doesn't matter if I can't do these other things anymore because I'm going to live the way that I want to live because I deserve it. And and you can take that and you can apply that to any area of your finances, but we make decisions and I want to remind you, I want to remind you as a brother that the finances that God has entrusted us with They are his. He has supplied them, and he expects us to use them in a way that honors him. Sometimes that means it's a cost. It's a cost to what we would have liked to have. It's a cost to how we would have liked to look. It's a thing we would have liked to done, but we can't do it because we want to honor God in this area of our finances, so we'll walk through the fear of missing out, which is so terrifying. I have to not do something that everyone else is doing. Should have learned that as a teenager. If you're in your 20s or 30s, just hop into it. You don't get to do what everybody else does all the time. God has given us all we need, even if that means sometimes we don't get to do what we would have liked to do. In verse 18, these instructions to us, to the rich within the church, they continue on, and it says, tell them to use their money to do good. Your finances have a purpose. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Listen to to the mindset and the heart behind the way this verse ends. Always being ready to share with others. Now, it starts off, use their money to do good. There There is purpose here. And then it calls us to be rich in good works. It almost like it, try to, it tries to paint this picture, this illustration of the class system that is so familiar to us and it's been through generations and countries that there's this class system of the rich, the middle, the poor, the incredibly impoverished. Like the, there's this class system and it says you should be rich in good works. And I wonder, just within your own mind, if you looked at the way that you've been managing your finances, and you understand what class you are in financially right now, within the earthly finances, but what class would you place yourself in, using the illustration from the passage, when it comes to your good works? Are you rich in good works? Are you living middle class right now in good works? We we do some, not as much as we probably should, but we do some. A question only for you to answer, only to yourself. Am I, am I impoverished? Am I poor in good works? Because I have just been taking everything that I have and expending it on myself, on what I want. Now look, this isn't to make you feel bad, but this is, this is that wake-up moment. That, that's, this is the, like, I need to look around a little bit moment and see the people that are around me. I need to wake up and I need to, I need to look at Scripture and say, What does God tell me to do in the way that I manage my finances? And I need to actually do it. 
And, and this gets back to like, we, we don't want you to just be generous towards us. We want you to live a generous life. Because when you live that life, it is, it is the best for you. You will experience the mo- most joy. You will experience the most peace. And I know that we have financial goals. And I'm going to tell you, my wife and I, like, we both kind of got led into college and was like, student loans are how you do it. And so we're going to be still buying our college for a long time. And so we have debt. And I, I wouldn't be encouraging you on the area of generosity in the way that I am if we hadn't signed up and said, you know what? For us, giving is a priority. And so we do it. In the midst of, I would love to take this, you know, th- this money that, we, that we're giving and use it to pay down our debt. I'd love to use it to, to you know, buy different toys for myself. I would love to use it and go buy myself some, some nice, really nice shoes. Like, I have those desires too. But I have found what is best for me. I have found what is best for my relationship with my wife. I found what is best for the way that I'm raising my kids and the people they're becoming, for us to be people who are generous. Even in the face of debt, even in the face of struggle, even in the face of not being able to get what we want right when we want to get it. We have goals. We want to be out of debt. We want to be financially secure. We want to be prepared for retirement. And so, you know, one of the things that we see in the scripture is that there's an instruction that we need to be, and we'll put this point up there. Go ahead and put it up. We need to be rich. We need to be rich as a church. We need to be rich as a people. But not just like that. We need to be rich in good works. Go to the next one. We need to be rich in good works. And just like getting rich financially, I would say that the description of what that is, is something that happens small act of faithfulness after small act of faithfulness for years upon end. When I was going through college and I was studying for ministry, one of our professors was just real with us and he said, hey, just so you guys know, there's not really a class on this, but if you don't start saving for your retirement as soon as you graduate, you will never be able to retire as a pastor. There's no way you'll ever catch up. You'll never make enough money. You have to start right at the beginning, $100 per month. And then if you do $100 per month from the time that you're 22 to the time that you're 65, you're going to be fine. But you've got to start. And $100 per month for retirement, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it will add up. It'll add up to where you actually have over a million dollars by the time you're in your 50s. Giving, it might feel like what we can do right now and what God's asking us to do right now, it's so little, it won't make a difference. I'm going to tell you, when you choose to obey what God puts on your heart, when you choose to obey what God has put on Scripture, Small time after small time after small time, it leads to spiritual riches. It leads to growth in your life. It leads to affecting other areas where you've struggled. Any area within your spiritual life where it had been a no to God and you change it even to the smallest yes, it affects 10 other areas of your life. Anytime we begin to move forward in obedience, it helps us grow. And with this illustration within the passage of we need to be rich in good works, I, I think that it's just a good illustration for you, for you to kind of put on your life and say, where am I at in that class system? Because generosity rarely happens on accident. It's a choice. And in the previous, and in the next verses, it actually talks about that we need to always be ready. Always being ready to share with others. I mean, 
there's a truth that not every need is a legitimate need that we're supposed to meet. And so don't try to shut off this scripture, this passage, because you know what? I know some people who had some addictions and they wanted money and I couldn't give it to them, so that's not true. I did lots of inner city ministry with people who are stuck in addiction in college, and so I've worked in that environment. And I know there's times where the best thing you can do for someone is tell them no, but this is describing a mindset of being ready, like looking for the opportunity to be generous and not looking for the excuse to get out of it. Uh, of being so open-handed with God of whether it's your time, your attention, your ear, your words of encouragement, or your finances, you're ready to give any of those away equally. Because what has happened historically throughout the life of the church is that we, we'll be happy to do a lot of things, but when it comes to our finances, there's like a wall up between what God wants to do and what we want to do. And this passage is aimed at rich people because we want to tear that wall down. We want every area of our life to be open before God. We want to be rich in good works. And continuing into verse 19, it says, By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now, this first piece gets into a deeper spiritual, scriptural concept of storing up their treasure. It's this illustration that, that comes out of what's referred to as the Bema seat, the, the judgment of Christ, that at, at the end of your life, there will be a time where you stand before God and he purifies your life and, and, he, and he looks and he actually, God is going to celebrate the great things that we did, the times where we said yes to him, the times where we, we were loving towards our neighbor, the times where we invested in the kingdom of God. He's going to celebrate those things. And the times that we, we do that, it's referred to as creating treasure in heaven. And it's interesting because we want to chase after riches on earth that is really spiritual poverty. I mean, there's no amount of riches that are ever going to really fulfill us and make us feel rich in life. It's just this never-ending chase. But when we decide we're not going to chase earthly riches, but we're going to chase spiritual heavenly riches, we're going to do the things that matter, we're going to love the people that matter in our life. When we invest in that, we actually create true riches that will matter forever. And not only that, will they matter forever. The passage says, storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. There is this truth that when we honor God in generosity, it actually puts our life in a position that, whatever we, that what we build on from there forward is going to stand stronger that we're going to be better at managing our finances, we're, we're going to be better at, at the areas of our life that, that get into generosity or giving, that, that when we do this, when we live this way, it sets, up, sets us up to live better than if we had a different foundation. Because when, when we live the way that, you know, I kind of joked about the, the story at the beginning. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this out. I joked about the, the person at the beginning who, who chased finances, chased finances, chased finances, only for himself, only for himself, only for himself. And, and we know that we don't like that person. The person who's only concerned about his needs, we don't like that guy. But I think that somehow, amongst the busyness and trying to keep things paid, I think in so many ways, 
we've become that person. And as a church together, and as families and people individually, I know that the foundation we want to build for our life is a generous one. That we just across the board, uh, across the whole thing, we're going to be generous with other people. And this, present, this has challenges because some of us have lived outside of our means for so long that we've trapped ourselves in a way that we don't have any ability. Well, what I want you to hear from me today is make a plan. Begin to honor God in the fact that you're, you're going to dig your way out of that hole. Burn the credit cards. Burn any new letters from the credit cards. Stop spending money that you don't have. The 1% cash back does not work out for you with the 20% that they charge you each month. They know what they're doing. There's a reason why they make billions of dollars. We, as individuals, have to live with a sense of control of our finances so that we have the freedom to be generous and encouraging and helpful to others because we want love in light to just shine out of our lives. As Jesus talks about, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. In the area of our finances, we want Christ's love to shine out. So when people come to us or to the church for help, we want to be able to provide help in the situations that merit it. Because God has been so generous with us, how could we not be generous with someone else? I mean, as our church has grown, the requests have grown. And even today, someone who has been a part of our church for a while just let me know that they need help. So for those of us who, who say, okay, Gulfside is our home, but you've never financially crossed that line of, of being generous here, I want to encourage you, if God puts it on your heart, do it. Because when we give, it enables us to, to grow the ministries here. The, the, the cheapest way to run a church is to kill it. I mean, if there's less people, things cost less money. I mean, that, that, that's an option that some churches go for, but it's not really what we're looking for here at Gulfside. And when kids' classrooms need to get bigger and we need to grow, get more supplies, we want to be able to be generous and make a great area for our kids. When someone who's part of our church walks in and they have had a terrible month, they, they've been in the hospital and they need help making a rent payment, we want to come alongside them and help them. When a family that is neighbors to someone who goes to our church, they're in financial need and they don't have groceries in their house, we want to walk in with a box full of groceries, don't we? We want to be able to be a generous church. But that comes out of being a generous people. And I believe that that starts when God speaks to your heart and you say yes. And I, I am not the voice of God in your life. And I don't know God's timing in your life. But I know that when he speaks to you, it's always better to say yes than to run from him. So church, one out of 103 Sundays that I've taught purely on finances, give me some license to push on you a little bit. If the finances have just been going in and out without any thought, without any control, without any stewardship, let's wake that up.
If you have been saying, you know, this is my church, I love this church, I'm committed here, but you've never crossed that line of financially investing in the church, take that step. Because the difference it's made in your life, we wanna, we wanna affect far more families, far more people. And the best thing, the most important thing, is anytime we remove barriers from our heart when it comes to our relationship with God, it helps us grow. And that's my heartbeat for you. That's why my family gives, because we've seen that he's trustworthy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you provide in all things. And I thank you in the seasons where things are difficult, we know that we can trust you and that you will walk us through it. I thank you for the generosity of other people's life who has affected mine. And I thank you for the opportunities you've been able to use our family to be generous to someone else. And we just pray that your love your truth would continue to flow out through, through the lives of your church in many different ways, through our speech, through our grace, through our giving. In all these different ways, may there be no barriers but just complete openness to you because we know you are good, because we know you have a plan, because we know you are trustworthy. It's in your son's name we pray.